0: Yes, although you, you, (laughs) um, depending on what you say uh, next, this this is correct. Yes, I'll say yes for our purpose, and I'll repeat this when you finish. Okay, um, I'm going to restate your question, and you can, through your facial expression or through your words, you can tell me if I'm restating it correctly. One could interpret what i 've said as suggesting that the law should never get ahead of morality that that the the moral case the moral consensus needs to be built before we reify that in a law, and that if we don 't do that, bad things happen um, and so your question is, as I take it, well then how do you explain things how do you you deal with a world where there is painous sin, or another way to put it um, is how do you reconcile this kind of a view with something like the abolition movement in, um, in, I assume you're thinking of the English abolition movement, but you could maybe say the same thing about the American. That's a, that's a great test case, I think. Um, my answer would be, or the answer would have to be, which I think is persuasive, although um it might not be completely, is with abolitionism in um, in England in particular. In the U.S. it was complicated because it was enforced by a war. But um, in England in particular, the two problems that I've identified with law is, one, um, it's a problem when you have a law that's, that's too broad to ever be systematically um, The second is it's dangerous to pass laws when you have a potentially temporary majority, that you're trying to use the law to end an argument. Arguably, abolition, when it was finally passed, was consistent with both of those requirements, or it didn't violate either of them. In England, in particular, really anywhere, abolition, it's not a problem of consistent enforcement. You can enforce abolition. Slavery is very difficult to hide, Um, and... Um, It was in England. Once abolition was passed, it it stopped. Um, So it, it could be consistently enforced. I think it's also true that there was more, by the time it passed, there was more than a temporary narrow majority, that there was something like an emerging consensus um, in favor of it. But one could quibble with me on that. I mean, you might be able to make the argument, really there wasn't, and it took abolition, the law to actually finish the job. And you you might, one could argue that with with the civil rights movement as well, that um, that there was not at least a nationwide consensus before the Voting Rights Act was put in place and things of that sort. Although I would argue there was something close to that. Uh, there certainly was a consensus outside of the, the South, and um, it was a strong enough consensus to cram it down the South's throat in the 1960s. But that's a good point. And I'll, um, um, I'll throw in one bonus answer, which may have been in your your um, your question, too. And that is, this theory that I am articulating is inconsistent with the idea that the law is a teacher. We often talk about the law as teaching people about morality, teaching them things that they don't know. There's a long literature, going back at least to Thomas Aquinas, about the importance of law's role as a teacher, I'm arguing that the scope of law as a teacher is relatively limited when what you're talking about is simply teaching people with a law that is not going to be systematically enforced. But that that is something that people might quibble with me about as well. In fact, my um, my class, my Christian legal theory class last year did not was not persuaded by me on, on this issue. But that, that's how I'm answering these questions. Mm-hmm. It's always dangerous when somebody starts a question by identifying you, me, as the static as opposed to the dynamic. <laughs> so the, the question is, it seems to make a certain amount of sense that we um, we're careful about how much morality we try to legislate. We don't get ahead of we don't get ahead of morality. Ideally, we wouldn't get ahead of morality with what we're doing with the secular law. But where does that fit with opposing other efforts to um, to either, I guess, put laws in place that seem hostile to um, to morality, at least morality, as, as we conceive it. I guess my initial answer is it strikes me as different. That that saying that we shouldn't try to legislate something is not the same thing as saying that there's no justification for opposing um, other laws. Because the the underlying intuition of this is that in this culture we do too much with law. So um, so trying to I'm I'm more sympathetic to an effort to oppose a law that seems immoral and the the law seems like it would be immoral in some way than I am to uh, to trying to pass laws that are based on a particular moral position. So opposing. So the question is, what about opposing efforts to remove existing laws and I'd have to know what the law was before I could answer and I think I would use um, well I'll give you an example I'll give you a hot button example Um, although I'll take one that I'm comfortable with. and that is um, with sodomy laws. Um, Lawrence versus Texas, a Supreme Court case a few years ago. That's a law that's been on the, uh, the prohibitions against sodomy have been on the books in a lot of states for a lot of years. They're based on morality. Um, I think it was a good thing that the Supreme Court got rid of them. I mean, that is a, precisely the kind of law that it is impossible to enforce systematically and that you know, if we lived in a culture where there were a complete moral consensus on that kind of an issue, maybe. But um, but in our culture in this time, um, nobody was really enforcing those laws, but they are laws that are better lost to paraphrase uh, Richard Rorty. Um, um, so I'd have to look at the particular law and I would put it in. I'd put it into the same context of where are we going to end up with or without this law? And if, if we're going to end up with this law, is it a law that can be defended in these kinds of terms that that either that reflects a moral consensus and that is going to be systematically enforceable? Because if either of those things is not true, historically, we've had problems um, in, in what's happened with the law. Carl, or actually I'm. I should let you go first. You've been waiting patiently. Okay. so the question is, how does all this fit with the shift from on many issues from legislation as the source of laws to judges as effectively the source of laws? The the things that I've written have really focused primarily on legislation. And I assume that's kind of part of the subtext of your question, that I've been focusing mostly on criminal legislation, somewhat on civil legislation, not really on judges. I don't have a fully developed theory, sort of Christian theory of judging. Um, And and I'm not sure that 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 I think that there is a single Christian theory of judging that one would come up with. But like many people, I am very uncomfortable with the idea of judges, um, judges effectively making laws um, that it strikes me as problematic on a number of grounds. It, it, um, if, if you're concerned that the people who are making and enforcing laws are sinners, just like the rest of us are sinners. You probably don't want to have that much authority in one person where they're deciding what the or or one group of people they're deciding what what the law is. So I I I can generally say that I'm very uncomfortable with um, with. With judges making the changes in laws, there's there is a long, long literature in the legal scholarship. I don't know if you're a a law student or or law professor or um, about what what is the proper role of judges and the the most historically the most prominent argument in favor of um, of judges making law in certain circumstances has been that, um, that judges can resist factions, sort of majority factions, and that judges can protect minorities that are not fully protected in the political process. So that's one of the arguments about Brown versus Board of Education is, is good thing that the Supreme Court stepped in there because, um, because blacks at that point in this country were not protected by the political process. In my view, that argument turns out not to be persuasive. And there's some very interesting um, work by a guy named Mike Klarman, who's a legal historian now at Harvard, about Brown versus Board of Education making the argument that Brown versus Board of Education, it's not clear that it actually advanced racial equality in the end. That the the immediate effect of Brown versus Board of Education Uh, Board of Education was to cause the South to dig in its heels and to slow down the process of of moving closer to racial equality. And in a sense, that's another reason to be skeptical of judges making laws. Even the the best argument for why you would want judges to make laws doesn't seem to describe the way the world works. So... um, The short answer, if I were if it were possible for me to give a short answer to anything, the short answer would be I'm uncomfortable with judges, um, judges moving, moving beyond the text that they're interpreting. I would probably want to qualify that a little bit if it were in writing, but um, but I am uncomfortable. This is a great question, and I don't know if I can summarize it effectively, but it's. It's a question about where does what I've identified as evangelical optimism about the capacity of the law come from, or how would you try to trace it back? I think you might trace it back to the to the pure to to early America. Um, It's dangerous to assume that there's a clear set of causal links from the Puritans to post-Civil War to Bryan, you know, all the way up to now. It's it's dangerous to assume that there's even a clear set of causal links between William Jennings Bryan and the current evangelical right. I mean, those those causal links are a little hard to establish. But there is a tradition in American politics of um, legislating on these kinds of issues. And I think it does go back to um, to the Puritans Um, in, in some respects, you know, maybe that's where, uh, that's in part where it comes from. What, uh, just sort of an interesting footnote on that, uh, which isn't really answering the question, but the Puritans are accused of everything bad in, um, in American society. So that in the early 1900s, when, um, when people were complaining about an activist Supreme Court, an activist Supreme Court, that was striking down progressive legislation, work, uh, minimum wage legislation, legislation um, putting maximum work hours in the work week. That was attributed to many scholars by at least some scholars, particularly a guy named uh, Roscoe Pound, who was the dean at Harvard. He attributed that to the Puritans. um, And he said, I forget exactly what the argument it was. It was something about essentially judges decided judges believing that they were arbiters of what was right for society. And um, that had made its way into something called liberty of contract doctrine uh, in the Supreme Court. That doesn't really relate to your question of it, but it relates to to the Puritans. Um, you know, I guess I think there's some sort of 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 pattern that continues from the Puritans I bet it 's disrupted uh, by the Civil War and some way. i i 'm not sure exactly how that um, that works through i 'll just throw one more stray thought in there which which doesn 't gets further from an answer rather than closer. the religious right um, Really didn't start as an optimism about law, and so I, I may be overstating when I call it an optimism about law. It's more of a willingness to go to the law than necessarily an optimism. The religious right was initially, or initially saw itself as a reactive movement, not as a trying to get laws passed. I mean, the first, um, the first big event with the, re- re- with the religious right, which I didn't mention in my talk, was the school prayer decisions of the 1960s, um, kicking prayer out of schools. That was what really got Christians thinking, oh, no, we better do something. This culture has turned against us. And much of what the religious right does, what my fellow evangelicals do, is framed in defensive terms as trying to protect something that we used to have and that is slipping away. And so it's probably not fair to call it an optimism about law, although it ends up working out the same way. It ends up it ends up being grounded in an assumption that the law is the usual solution to any social problem that that you that the way you resolve it is by trying to get a law passed. Okay, so the the question slash comment is the Christian right and the Christian left seem to be making the same mistake, that they seem to be trying to use law to create a a kingdom of heaven on earth um, in a way that doesn't make sense. That's right. So the point is, there's a difference um, between. The church, the body of Christ and the world. I agree with that, although I also believe that we that as Christians, we are called to speak into the world, that 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 there is a divide between the kingdom of between what we have now and the kingdom of heaven. That's eternal. Uh, And this is in this is pervasive in the Sermon on the Mount, but. I'm really persuaded by the already not yet arguments about the nature of the kingdom of heaven, that it has Christ brought it. You know, when you when Christ, when John the Baptist's disciples ask Christ, how will they know if he's really the Christ? What he says is the blind begin to see the lame walk and the poor have good news preached to them. That's straight out of out of Isaiah. That's out of the Old Testament. He's talking about now, about what's going on in the world now. But he's also talking about what's going to happen for all eternity. So there, I think both of those are present, although I agree with you that there, there is a tendency really to be, and I'll go back to that optimism word, that over-optimistic about what we can do here. You know, about how much role we have in bringing on the kingdom of heaven right now. I I will, I'll agree with that much. Well, I, I still am not going to completely, I mean, I, that's So the point is that as a, as Christians, we can't expect the world to be transformed through what we're doing. I agree with that, but I also believe that it is our role to try to make the world look a little bit more like what um, the kingdom of of heaven is meant to look like. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't. I think we agree. We're just we're we're coming at the the um, the point from uh, from. From different sides of it, in a sense. You are welcome.